church website, and I'm recording. So, just wanted to tell you that last week was very enjoyable, and I got so much feedback from all of you. And we want to have um, Michael again sometime, which is going to choose the right chapter. But the other encouraging and exciting thought is that we're also going to have Dwayne Baldwin teach a segment. He doesn't know that yet. <laughs> I'm hoping to talk to him this week. And um, the same is true of, of Heath Dane. Perhaps Heath will teach a small segment. And there are other men actually in this room who are going to uh, help us from time to time in teaching part of the book. So I haven't talked to Dr. Allison recently, but I was telling someone this morning I'm planning to go to Louisville and just um, to go out for lunch with him and have a little time with him, and then we'll nail, perhaps begin to nail a time when he will come. So anyway. Um, I would like to just quickly ask God's blessing on our class, and then we're going to jump into, into chapter 8. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to approach this class today as though we can learn something on our own that's true and biblical. We bow before you. And we ask for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Thank you for our Bibles. We spent seven or so weeks just talking about the Word of God. We're so grateful that you have revealed yourself, not only in creation, but in the Scriptures. So help us today to go away, um, having learned from the Scriptures. My prayer, all of our prayers, are this, uh, that... If there's one passage of scripture that gives us light and changes our lives, may that be what's remembered. May it become very precious to us today and life transforming. Bless every class this hour. Bless us in our time of worship. Gather with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen, amen. Now very quickly, um, I brought my, my Catholic Bible with me because I wanted to um, I wanted to read for you something out of Maccabees. It's interesting how these these books are put in different places. but last week we considered why first and second Maccabees and five other books in the Roman Catholic Bible should not be in the Bible, including theirs. And that was helpful information. But if you're going to have an effective witness with any of your Roman Catholic friends, I think it's a shame if you have to say, I've never read the Apocrypha. I think you should say to them, have you ever read the Apocrypha? I've read it. And it wouldn't hurt if you read it several times, to be able to say, I've read it several times. And you can pay some tribute to those seven books in terms of there is some wisdom in those books, there's some historical knowledge in those books. And you can acknowledge that, but then what you should say is, I'm not troubled about what's good in the Apocrypha, I'm troubled about what's bad in the Apocrypha. And you may say, what do you mean, what's bad? 
Well, for example, it teaches that when you die, even as a believer, you don't go right to heaven. You go to purgatory. And purgatory, by its very definition, is a place of purging. It's like purgatory. It's where sins in your life that haven't been adequately purged will be purged. Well, that's a nice thought. We want all of our sins purged, don't we? But the beautiful thing is that the moment we die and go to the presence of the Lord, they are completely taken away from us. Plus, in terms of their legal um, liability, Christ went to purgatory, if you will, for us. He experienced the essence of hell for us on the cross. So all of our sins have been paid for. And the second we die, all of our sinfulness has been eradicated. That's the gospel. That's good news. I, I don't want to have to pray for my dear, beloved Christian friends who were more holy than I am, that God will make their time in purgatory short. I just want to say, God, thank you that now my dear, my dear departed friend, Joy Malone, is sinlessly perfect in your presence. Man, I wish I was like that. We can say that because that's what the gospel. So you should, you need to find a Catholic Bible. You need to read the Apocrypha once in your life just so that you can witness to your friends. Here's what Second Maccabees says. See if you hear the doctrine of purgatory. Judas rallied his army and went to the city of Adullam. As the week was ending, they purified themselves according to the custom and kept the Sabbath there. On the following day, since the task had now become urgent, Judas and his men went to gather up the bodies of the slain and bury them with their kinsmen in their ancestral tombs. <clears throat> but under the tunic of each of the dead, they found am amulets, amulets sacred to the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. So it was clear to all that this was why these men had been slain. They all therefore praised the ways of the Lord and just judge who brings to light the things that are hidden. Turning to supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be fully blotted out. A little late. A little late. Did they pray that their sins would be blotted out? You can't get your sins blotted out by someone else's prayers. The noble Judas warned the soldiers to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. <clears throat> then he took up a collection among all his soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. Oh, we got to pay to get a sacrifice. Hmm. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way, inasmuch as he had the resurrection of the dead in view. For if he were not expecting the fallen to rise again, it would have been useless to pray, useless and foolish to praise for them in death, to pray for them in death. But if he did this with a view to the splendid reward that awaits those who had gone to rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus, listen to this last sentence. Thus he made atonement for the dead that they might be freed from this sin. That's the doctrine of praying for those who are dead, and that's the doctrine of purgatory. 
and that's contrary to the word of God. And you ought to be able to share that with your Catholic friends in a sweet, loving, respectable way. Say, let's read. Let's read Maccabees together. And then have other scriptures in mind that you're going to take them to and say, here's what the Bible actually teaches about that, so that they can see the contrast. One other, um, one other thing I want to read is from our Confession of Faith. It says in chapter 1 concerning the scriptures, the whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith, and life is either explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the Holy Scriptures. Nothing is ever to be added to the Scriptures, either by new revelation of the Spirit or by human traditions. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that the inward illumination of the Spirit of God is necessary for a saving understanding of what is revealed in the Word. So our confession of faith is very clear about the sufficiency of the Word of God. So this is something you should read through from time to time as well. Now, we, we have to really move along quickly today, and this is, this is an absolutely amazing chapter, but before we do, let me just help you by turning, uh, please, to uh, Roman numeral 9 again. And we have the sings with us. Good morning, brother and sister. Not a problem, and we're just happy to have them. Okay. Thank you so much, Meg. The Boswells are offering hospitality for this dear couple this morning. Raleigh is going to just just say a word. He's not going to talk at length at all because he's just greeting us. Because tonight at the Lord's Supper, he's going to take some time and tell us about his ministry. Last night I was privileged with Pastor Keith to go out for dinner with this dear couple um, and learn about their work. So, welcome to our class. But on Roman numeral, page Roman numeral 9, just notice now we've completed the first major doctrine of the systematic theology. It's called the doctrine of the word. And we had seven classes on that. Okay? This is what a systematic theology does. It takes general doctrines and then breaks them down into subtopics and works through them. Now notice what this new segment is called. It's called the doctrine of God. And that's the logical thing. After you have a, a basis of authority and revelation for truth, what better subject to start with than God himself? And so we're going to... Uh, consider the knowability and the incomprehensibility of God. We're going to consider the incommunicable attributes of God. <coughs> Excuse me, and the communicable. By the way, just in case that trips you up, it just means that some of God's virtues He actually shares with us. He's a God of truth. Christians become people of truth. He's a God of holiness. He hates sin. Christians become a people of holiness who hate sin. And the list goes on. But he is also a God who's omnipresent. You think he's ever going to share that with you? You think you're ever going to be omnipresent someday? You're dreaming. You think you're ever going to be omniscient someday? You're going to know everything that's possible to be known? You're dreaming. Of course, I know you don't believe that. Those are incommunicable. They're not going to be communicated to us. So we're going to look at the attributes of God. Communicable and incommunicable. That's a natural, normal division about the attributes of God. And then we're going to consider the Trinity. Amazing how three can be one. We're going to consider creation and providence. They, they often come under the general doctrine of God. 
And then we'll be going on to our third general category on page 10, the doctrine of creation or creatures. So I'm just giving you the big picture. You see what we've done and now where we're going. Now we're going with the doctrine of God. And this chapter, I personally think, is absolutely wonderful and amazing. Probably what's really wonderful and amazing is not so much the chapter, it's the subject. Amen. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by it. I mean, I was sitting in a library the other day reading out of this, this old catechism that I have, which um, was published, I mean, this particular book was published in 1845, 174 years ago, but the catechism itself is a catechism on the catechism, and it was put together by a lot of Scottish preachers, ministers, and then the work was consolidated by three men, two brothers, the Erskine brothers. Some of you have heard of the Erskine brothers, Ralph, Ralph and Ebenezer, <laughs> great, great theologians, and another man by the name of James Fisher. So this catechism has come to be known as Fisher's Catechism, but it's really the shorter catechism. It's a catechism on the catechism, okay? The shorter catechism was written for young people by the Puritans. But then good men have come along and just done an exposition of the catechism. It's absolutely amazing. And um, I was deeply blessed sitting up in a library and reading this. I got tears in my eyes. It was overwhelming. And I'm going to just read a brief quote from it in a few moments. So I'm excited about this, and I just want to say by general introduction that, that when it comes to the doctrine of God, the, the right place to start is the, is the fact, two things, that he can be known. And I just want to say that again. God can be known. And, and though this isn't the point of the chapter, let me just underscore how important this potential is. God must be known. If you don't come to what the Bible describes as the knowledge of God, you and I will perish. The knowledge of God is essential to salvation. What if he couldn't be known? What if the Bible said you must know God to go to heaven and have your sins forgiven, but sadly, he's impossible to know? What hope would that give you? And I'm, I just want to remind you folks, I know you know this, but we must come to know God. And if we don't come to know God, we will never have our sins forgiven. We will never be with God. But praise Him, hallelujah, glory to God, He is knowable. Amen. God is knowable. You can come to know God. We can come to truly know God. But lest we be proud in our knowledge of God, don't forget this. But he cannot be known fully. He cannot be known exhaustively. He cannot be known perfectly. Because He's incomprehensible. And yet, the incomprehensibility of God, we haven't talked about it yet, doesn't keep us from being able to know Him. It just keeps us from being able to know Him fully. And if I may jump to the whole point of this and something we're going to look at, 
You can study the Bible as a true believer and dwelt by the Holy Spirit and getting ongoing illumination. If you live for a thousand years, you would never come to the full knowledge of God because when we are with him, first in heaven and later on the renewed earth, for eternity, we will continue to learn more and 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 more about God and never, ever, ever, ever come to the end. Never. Not in 300 trillion years will we know all there is to know about God. And you know why? This is jumping to a key point. I'm just going to ask a question. Why is God incomprehensible? Give me one word. We just say because of his blank. Who said that? Yes. Well, you read the chapter, but you probably would have known that without the chapter. <laughs> but, but listen, it's because God is. So what is infinity? What's that mean? Let's get that down to um, let's get that down to a grade school level. What is infinity? Sorry. Endless. Endless. Other words that might be helpful. <coughs> no beginning, no end. No beginning, no end. Other words. Forever. Forever. Now we're thinking about infinity with regard to time right now. All those comments had to do with time. But God isn't just infinite with regard to time. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's a good definition. Remember, it comes all the shorter catechism. You should learn that one. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in what? In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Which is another way of saying he's infinite in everything. But I'm still am looking for another word of infinite. Boundless. 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 Who said boundless? Mark. Who did? Mark. Brother. I know. I knew you're a good theologian, and I and my mind was very much on you last night as Alabama played LSU. <laughs> So I don't know who to, I, I feel happy for him, I feel sad for Jim Golly. Jim is a tiger to the heart, and they are a great team, but obviously Alabama's greater. <laughs> don't, don't, tell, don't tell Jim I said that, okay? No, he told me that himself today. Okay, so it's boundless, it's limitless. It's, now, do you see the connection? If God is limitless and boundless in everything about him, are you going to reach the borders of that knowledge? Never. You can't. So, very simply, the reason why God is incomprehensible is because he's infinite. In infinite. God is incomprehensible because he is infinite. I'm going to say it one more time, and then you're going to say it with me. God is incomprehensible because he is infinite. You ready? God is incomprehensible because he is infinite. So when you start fooling around in your mind through the word of God with the concept of infinite, boundless. You are in a, well, no analogy works. You are in an ocean of truth. It's just that the bottoms of that ocean can never be plummeted. So is that a pretty good topic to think about? Can you meditate on that for a little while? in a sense, only for a little while, because then your brain just says, I don't know how to go any further. But think about it, and think about it, and think about it until what happens to your brain is what one of my seminary professors says, 
it, it happens when you contemplate anything about God long enough. He says it's like going down a mountain and your brakes have gone out and the only hope you have is to, you know, you're picking up speed is to is somehow put it in reverse. He says, what do you think is going to happen to the transmission? He's going to the whole thing's just going to blow apart. And we need to think about God until we feel that we're right on the border of that. This is overwhelming. But at the end of the class, I'm going to ask you guys, so what? What, what difference should it make in our lives, first of all, that God can be known, truly known? You, well, you do know God already, unless you're unconverted, and it's possible that there's an unconverted person or two among us, possible. If you're unconverted, by the way, good thing to do right now is say, God, I need to know you. Give me that knowledge. And it's going to result in you trusting in Jesus to pay for your sins and to make you righteous. But I'm going to ask you at the end, so what should we do with this? What are we going to do with the fact that God can be known? And I must add this, and we haven't even studied it yet. And he can come to be known increasingly. You can know God better and better and better. What are we going to do with that? Nothing? Really? We can't be true Christians then. Because part of having the knowledge of God is his implanting in our souls a quenchless thirst for more knowledge and more knowledge. Oh God, I want to know you more. So then the second thing I'm going to ask you is what are we going to do with the fact that he's incomprehensible? What should that do to you? How should that affect your life? What difference should that make in your life? Do you, you suppose it has anything to do with your prayer life? So there we go. Now, we haven't actually opened it, so I'm going to quickly try to do that. And I want to reserve that time for some, some actually first some response from you, and then maybe, maybe, maybe a couple of prayers, two or three prayers. So um, we're, we're going to think about, first of all, the, obviously the knowability of God. And let me put it this way. This is what I wrote down in my notes this week. Before we consider the amazing, the amazing reality that we can actually come to know God in a saving way, before we come to that, before we come to the amazing reality that we can actually experience an ever-increasing knowledge of him, throughout our Christian lives. <clears throat> and before we actually come to think about the fact that throughout eternity, first in heaven, you know, you first you go to heaven. Everybody talks about eternity going to heaven. That's right, we do go to heaven, but that's not where eternity is going to be spent. Eternity is going to be spent here on the renewed earth. Before we think about the amazing reality that throughout eternity, we're going to continue and continue and continue. And it won't be boring. It'll be the most blessed subject you've ever thought about in your life. You can't get enough of it. And I've said this how many, 20, 30 times since I've been a pastor, but I love it because it's so, it's so insightful <laughs> on, the place, on the part of Jonathan Edwards to suggest that 
the pleasures and joys of heaven will increase, it will be ever increasing. You're not going to get to heaven, and it's just going to be unbelievably pleasurable. And that's it. It's just unbelievably, indescribably pleasurable. No, it's going to get unbelievably, indescribably more pleasurable and more pleasurable and more pleasurable without end. Why? Because our great priest, Christ, is going to take the things of God and show them unto us and our, our minds, our renewed minds, with no frailty, no ability to forget. We're not in heaven. We're going to say, I think I forgot that lesson. Our minds are going to be ever increasingly <clears throat> enlarged with the knowledge of God, which makes us find even more pleasure in God. You're even more wonderful. Don't you discover that about people you love? Your spouse, you love him or her more and more as you see more and more of who they are. There's more to love. And the more you love, guess what? The more you delight. And the more you delight, guess what? The more you enjoy. The pleasures of heaven, dear brothers and sisters, are going to get better and better and better and better. And better. I can't conceive of it. I could say better and better another 100 times. And all it does is just emphasize the point. It will never end. So I'm going to ask you at the end of the class, what do we do with that? that God is incomprehensible because he's infinite. But I can still get to know him better and better. Those are things we've got to think about. All right, now, very quickly then, I just suggested three levels of knowledge. And I, I'm not sure that Dr. Allison actually deals with this. Maybe you saw it. Probably I should have read it again. I usually read the chapter two or three times just to be sure. But I, I want to maybe surprise a few of you by saying this to you, that there is a sense in which every human being already, if, he, if he's still alive, and the moment that his mind is able to rationalize, every human being already has a knowledge of God. I don't know if you've thought about that. It's just not a saving knowledge. There is no such thing as a human being alive on the face of the earth who does not know God. Is everybody going to heaven then? No, no, it's not saving knowledge. It's an intrinsic knowledge. And it's also a knowledge that comes to you by what is outside of you. And you know some of the passages. So let's quickly look at Romans 1. Please turn in your Bible. We're going to look at a lot of verses quite quickly today and just let it kind of blow us away. And then you can go back to those passages and meditate on them. Romans 1, starting with verse 18. <coughs> Paul tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress what? The truth. Where did they get the truth? They have Bibles? Let's read on. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to them. It's plain. Because God has shown it them non-Christians, pagans, human beings, let's just put it that way, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly, <coughs> clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, get that? They knew God. There is a knowledge of God with which every human being is born, but it's not saving in and of itself. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They knew something about the glory of the immortal God, but they don't want it. They want to exchange it. They exchanged the glory. You can't exchange something you don't have. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they changed, look at, because they exchanged the what? The truth. The truth about God. Where did they get that? What seminary did they go to? Who gave them a Bible? God. The Bible is the universe. They exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know what that is? That's irrationality. And all these unconverted friends of ours wish they just wish so badly that we could become rational. Wouldn't it be great if you Christians were more rational? You talk about irrationality. You can't suppress something that isn't real, that doesn't exist. And I like the illustration of Bonson who says, if you're having fun in a swimming pool and you, someone throws a volleyball or a beach ball of some sort in the pool and it's small enough that you can hold underwater, you know how hard it is to hold it. It pops out. It keeps coming up. Come on, we got to hold it down. You got to hold the truth of God that you have intrinsically by virtue of your creation down. You you got to hold that down because it's going to make you feel accountable, and you don't like that feeling. And we all held the truth down too until God said enough of that. He knows when to release that, and He can conquer that. And if He doesn't conquer it, we'll spend the rest of our lives holding the truth down. But how can you hold the truth down if you don't know it's truth? Yeah. Isn't that a strange phenomenon? You know it's true. You know it's true, and the very fact that you're holding it down proves you know it's true. Because if it wasn't true, you wouldn't have to hold it down. That's right. That's okay, that's intrinsic knowledge. That's intrinsic knowledge. We were born with it. Everybody knows God, but nobody knows God savingly unless that knowledge changes into a different kind of knowledge. So there it is, Romans 8. Then there's the passage in, in uh, Psalm 19. Could we just quickly turn there? I can see already I'm in trouble. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could just you know, go a couple of hours and just have potty breaks and coffee breaks? Yeah. Yeah. You need one right now, brother? Who said that? No, no I just went to the chair. Okay. <laughs> You're the kind of guy that would do that. You saw that. There's a guy that loves the truth. <laughs> In Psalm 19, there, there, here are the two books, the book of nature and the book of God, or the Bible, okay? Verses 1 through 8 is the book of nature. The heavens declare, they declare something, the glory of God. The sky above 
Hey, Mark, do me a favor. You got your phone. I want you to go to your Bible app and, and find uh, Roman, or Psalm 19, verse... Um, well, just find Psalm 19, and I'll tell you in a second. Okay, Because I'm going to have you read three translations. You're going to read the NIV, and you're going to read the NET. If you pull up the NET and you're going to read the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Okay, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor, nor are there words. That's the verse I'm going to have you read for us, verse 3 in a minute. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Those two verses you're going to read, 3 and 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man. It runs its course to joy, it's rising. It's from the end of the heavens and the circuit of the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. And then he goes into the Bible. That's the second book. There's two books. There's the book of nature and of creation, and then there's the book that we're holding in our hands and reading right now. What's he teaching? Same thing Paul was teaching. That every man is born with the knowledge of God, from what he sees. And would you just read, Mark, how nicely that's translated, verses 3 and 4, uh, and just identify which translation you're reading? Yeah, well, I've got three. Uh, um, okay. And then I can do four. So which three translations? Yeah, uh, uh, NIV, um, the Holman Christian Standard. Okay, so NIV and then that. The and Holman that. Christian Standard, or the NIV says they have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them. The Holman Christian standard is there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Okay, read verse 4 as well. I, I need you to read okay. verse 4 on both sorry, those. I'm trying to pull. It only gives you one, allows me to read one verse. Okay, so sorry. You got multiple translations. Yep. Okay, so three. Sorry, let's do this together. Okay, so NIV for. Um, Three and four. Nineteen three is they have no speech, they have no they use no words, no no sound is heard from them. Verse four is yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, and the in the heavens God has pitched a tent for yeah. the sun. Okay, it's good enough. You hear that yet their voice goes out through all the world? That's universal knowledge. Okay, go to the next translation. And then uh, save the net for last. Yep. Holman Christian standard, there is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Verse four. Um, their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world, and the heavens he has pitched the tent. Okay, good enough. Now, NIV, or I mean, net, net Bible. It's a great translation, by the way, the net. You should, if you, if you like to collect good, helpful, helpful Bibles, get a net. Okay. Net New Bible English Bible. <laughs> New no English translation. There is no speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard. In verse 4, um, is yet its voice echoes throughout the earth. His words carry to the distant horizon. In the sky, he has pitched a tent. Okay. So, the the creation <clears throat> shouts, and it shouts all over the earth. And you have to suppress the message that it shouts, because you know it's true. There isn't an idiot on the face of the earth who actually can believe that something can come out of nothing unless there's a God. So that's that's the knowledge. Okay, and we could look at many. We could. There's just one other thing I just got to show you. Okay, back to Second Corinthians chapter four, please. 
And um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Patsy, when, in a minute when I ask you, if you would just read verse 4 for us. Um, I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's not verse 4. I want you to uh, read verse 3, 4, skip 5, and then read 6. 3, 4, and 6. Okay, everybody? 2 Corinthians 4, 3, 4, and 6. Okay, so now you see we're we're beginning to understand how we can move from the knowledge that we have by virtue of creation, looking at the universe, and the knowledge and into a saving knowledge. And Patsy just read for us what happens in verse six. The God who said, basically, let there be light at the dawn of creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light, here you go, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is more than just creation saying there's got to be a God. This is a spiritual work of God, the Holy Spirit, which enables us to see the glory of that God in the face of Jesus Christ through the gospel. Now, the one thing that I did not read for you, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I want you to just listen to this, because not only do we have an intrinsic knowledge of God because of what we see, but guess what? We, we actually have, in, we're born with consciences. Listen to this. It's, this is, by the way, Romans chapter 2. It's not in our text. That's not in the textbook. It says here, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, you might just say the Bible, the word of God, a revelation, by nature do what it requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show, this is what I want you to hear, they show the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. If you had time, you don't know, look at this later, please. Every human being is born with a conscience. Not only is it out there, look at, look at that, look at, look at the universe, look at a butterfly, look at a hummingbird, look at the fall colors. Look, at, look under a microscope, but it's also in here. It's in here. People know that it's wrong to kill. People know that it's wrong to steal. Where'd they get that? Don't tell me it was socialized into them. There's no, there's no strata of human society in the history of man that, that didn't prove that inward intrinsic knowledge of conscience. I mean, Sigmund Freud went to, the, to Australia and studied the Aborigines. And he was intrigued with their intrinsic code of ethics. So, so complex. Aborigines had a code of ethics. But they didn't have a Bible. You know why? Because God built it into them. So I'm just hammering this. Everybody's born with the knowledge of God. Everybody's born with the knowledge of God. Everybody's born with the knowledge of God, but you can't go to heaven if you don't have a different kind of knowledge. And Patsy just read what it is. It's the knowledge that God gives us when we're truly converted. So 
I don't think that that was emphasized in her chapter. I just want you to know the reason why God's noble is because we're born with a knowledge of him. Why should we think it was surprising to know that we, if we're already born with a knowledge that he exists? Now God's going to give us a different level of knowledge, which is going to change our lives. And that's the knowledge that comes through salvation. Okay, let's see. How ridiculous is it now? Pretty ridiculous. Okay, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Please. It's not like I'm commanding you. Please turn to Jeremiah 31. This is a promise of the new covenant. This passage is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 11 and following. And this is about us. It's about them, and it's about us. Who's the them? The old covenant people. Okay, you'll hear that. You'll see the them. Behold, the days are coming. That's going to be about us, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel in the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. We are, by the way, the spiritual house of Israel. Don't trip up on that. We are the spiritual Israel. <clears throat> After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. That's, that's, what we, that's what happens when we're converted. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach their neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. That's what we say to our unconverted friends. I just wish you knew the Lord. Please, I beg you to come to know God. You can know him. He's knowable. You know at one level you, you know he exists. You know him at one level, but you need to know him savingly. I beg you, spend time in the word of God. Listen to the gospel. Come to know the Lord. We won't have to do that with those of us who are in the true covenant. We just have to do it with people that are not in that covenant yet. We're in it. And he says, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, since we're in Jeremiah, go back to 9 and notice 23. 923, real close. I'm going to have... Um, I'm going to have Gary read that for us. Gary Mitchell, when you find 23, I should, should have given you 923. Because listen to his voice. He could be on the radio. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 923. Okay. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him boast. Yes. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, praise the Lord. Thank you. That he understands and knows me. He what? He knows me. You know God. You are dear sheep. You know God. You understand. In, do, you, do, you, do you have a total comprehension of everything about God? No, he's incomprehensible. But it doesn't mean he's not knowable. You know him. He's given you that knowledge. It's a saving knowledge. It's more than what you're born with, with the intrinsic knowledge of a conscience in the outer universe. It's a spiritual knowledge. You have it. We know God, and we can get to know him better. We can get to know him better. We can get to know him better. That's what's so amazing. That's what's so beautiful. Um, let's, just, let's, just, let's jump into 1 John. Pastor Mark will be dealing with this 
Um, we're not in chapter five. Are we in chapter five now? Okay, when do we get into chapter five? A weeks. couple of weeks? Well, this is at the very end of chapter five, but look at First John chapter five. Maybe, maybe we'll start with chapter two, actually. Since we're there, we might as well look at a verse in chapter two. And that's this we have covered. First John two. Please notice verse 13. First John 2.13. Jim, would you read that for us? Do you have that there? I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Okay, we can stop right there. Two times he says, you know him. You know the Father. He's writing to believers. Now go to chapter 5 and verse 20. Um... Let me get a sister to read that. Paula, would you please read for us verse 20? And we, excuse me, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Okay, would you please note, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding now, I want to say this really loudly because I'm actually teaching you how to read and think biblically when you're having devotions. Um, maybe the first time you read it, you read it like this. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. But then when you, when you start reading, reading analytically and you're wanting to go deeper, you read it differently. You read it like this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that, so that, sometimes the so isn't there, but the that is frequently there. Whenever you see that, stop and say, wait a minute, this is a purpose statement. He's telling us why something. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding. You've got to start with understanding. But that understanding, blessed of the Holy Spirit, becomes something else. So that we may know him who is true. Well, it sounds to me like you can get to know him who is true. Does it sound like that to you? Sounds like it's a ministry of the Son of God. He came to give us understanding. So that we may know him who is, who is true. Now, there, there are many, many, many more passages on this subject, but I, I, I'm going to quit because I'm going to try to stick to my plan. The point is, God is knowable, but God is incomprehensible. So we've got to have just at least a couple of verses about the incomprehensibility of God. So go back to Job 11, and, and some of you maybe just, if you, think, if you have this on your heart, just start thinking about what you're going to say when I say, what difference should this make? First, about the knowability of God, and second, about his incomprehensibility. So I'm hoping that some of you will you know, respond very, very quickly on that. Okay, Job 11, love this passage, 25, Job 11, 25, excuse me, I'm sorry, um, Job 11, 7 and 8, yeah, there aren't 25, right, probably, Job 11, 7 and 8, okay, uh, Jason, would you read 7 and 8 for us, please? Yeah. Can you fathom the depths of God, or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens, what can you do? You're deeper than so. What can you know? Okay. The, these are rhetorical questions. Can you find out the deep things of God? No. No. No.
Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? The limit? The bounds? No, you already said he's boundless. That's what infinity means. Either he's infinite or he's not. If he's finite, then he's not God. And he says, no, you can't. It's higher than the heaven. What can you do? It's deeper than Sheol. What can you know? This is the incomprehensibility of God because he is what? Infinite. The reason God is incomprehensible is because he is infinite. Okay? Now, we got time just to see another one or so. Let's just jump to Psalm 145, verse 3. Psalm 145, verse 3. Dave, would you read that, please? Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Okay. His greatness is what? What about my, what about my, David, you don't know about my mind. You're assuming that I can't plumb the depths of infinity. <laughs> who do you think you are? No, you say, who do you think you are? His greatness is unsearchable. That is, it's incomprehensible. And then let's just look at one more in the interest of time. Romans eleven thirty three. Romans eleven thirty three. I think we need a sister to read for us. Amy, would you read verse 33 when you think most of us are there? Romans 11, 33. I'm not there yet, so. <laughs> okay, all right, I think we're all there. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable is a funny word, isn't it? But we talk about scrutinizing something. I just scrutinize that thing and scrutinize that. <laughs> I thought that meant tighten something down when my dad used that word. There's a passage to memorize. Here's a passage to meditate. Just spend about a half hour just thinking about that verse. Oh, this sounds like worship to me. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God, it takes the breath out of me. It overwhelms me. It makes me feel weak. Yeah, that's the kind of God I am. I'm, I'm incomprehensible. But I'm knowable. Okay? So I'm going to quit and keep true to my own effort here, my own resolution. we got a couple of minutes. I want you, brothers and sisters, to just stop and, and help me answer the question. Let's answer this question together. If you really believe in all of your heart that God is knowable and he's increasingly knowable, what difference should that make? Jim? You have to ask yourself the question, what is my responsibility towards this God who created the universe and who created me? And how would you just at least begin to answer that question? Honor Him. 
glorify him. And how do you honor and glorify him? You love his son, follow yeah. commandments. Okay, okay, good answer. Other, what difference should this make? Any of you, brothers or sisters, Carla? Well, we ought to seek him in his word because that's where he's made himself. Absolutely. I mean, really, I don't think any of us could really increase in our knowledge of God if we just prayed. We have to pray, Lord, give me insight into this word. And we should pray that before we read, by the way. And we should pray that while we're reading, by the way. And we should pray that after we've read, by the way. We need the illuminating help of the Holy Spirit of God. But we've got to be in the word, in the word, in the word, in the word. So the rate at which you are growing in the knowledge of the glory of God, the rate at which I'm growing is in exact proportion to the to the degree to which I'm that I'm that I'm searching for this, that I'm that that it's a quest of my soul. And the evidence of it is my time in the word. I mean, this condemns me. But I'm just going to put it this way. The amount of time you spend in God's word is an exact measurement of how much more, how much you actually want to know him more. Period. Sorry, that's not, that's not a false judgment. It's a measurement. And I know we can't spend the whole day reading the Bible. But I doubt if that's the problem of most of us. I, honey, I lost my job. I stayed home and read the Bible all day. I doubt it. Okay, quickly, the second question. Yeah, that, we, didn't, we didn't do that question justice, but you, you hit the nail on the head. There's a, there are more applications to that. I mean, we should be praising God. I can't believe that you revealed yourself to me. You, you are knowable, but I could have been one of those people who just knew you existed and, and exchanged the truth for a lie. Why am I not one of those people who just exchanged the truth for a lie? I knew you at one level. Why, why were you pleased? Through the gospel... 2 Corinthians 4. It has shined in our hearts to give us. Why did you do that, God? She called profound humility, profound gratitude, zealous quest for more. Okay, in, incomprehensibility. What, what do we do with that? What, what should that do to us? That, that God is just that I see now that I can never plumb the depths of God. What should that do to you? Humility. Humility. It starts with humility. Anything else? Trust. Trust, yes. Worship. Worship. There's, I'm sure, sorry? Just searching. Searching, yes. Absolutely. To know as much as we can know. We say, God, I know you're incomprehensible, but I need to know a lot more. I want you to tell me everything I can possibly know this side of heaven. And he says, okay, I'll do that for you. But that's going, to be, that's going to be a class that starts today and ends the day you die. And then actually it begins all over at that point. So, okay, we need to pray. But I want three or four of you, two, no, two or three of you, because now it's 13. Two or three of you, just to pray uh, about give thanks to God or to ask whatever's on your heart. And then Dave, Dave, you listen. And if, if it's, I'm talking about Dave Reed now. And if it's a long pause then just close us in prayer because we should quit in just about two minutes, three minutes at the most. Let's pray.
My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. <laughs> yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver Amen. and search for it as for hidden treasures, then yes. you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Amen. Help us to be that zealous Amen. in our pursuit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you that you've not left us to ourselves, but you have given us a revelation of yourself in your word. We pray that you would give us a greater hunger to know you and increase that hunger, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we are, again, thankful for this lesson for the day. Uh, as we consider how great you truly are and how little we are. How we need to be on our knees and, and bow our face to the ground and worship you. Yes, God. Yes, God. We're amazed in the fact that you, first of all, gave us this scripture that we can rely on and have total and complete faith in. And how it ties so well into this lesson today. For without the inspiration of Scripture, we would not be able to know you well. Yes, yes. You've given us that, and we thank you that these two things are hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as we go through more and more of this, that we would be able to see how it all works together for our good. Amen. So we pray that you would help us to be attentive to you. Yes. And try to strive to know you better and better every day. Yes. That we wouldn't be uh, just... Hmm. implicit or, or just um, lackadaisical about our worship. Amen. That we would truly yes. saying holy, holy, holy. Hmm. We ask this in your name. Amen. Just one, one comment, guys. I, I was thinking, it came to my mind during prayer, so I don't think I was wandering. But when Jonathan went to our son to seminary in Minneapolis under John Piper Seminary, he said to me, he said, Dad, every class ends, almost every class, with what they called a doxological moment. You know, doxology, praise God from whom all the blessings flow. And they would stop sometimes in the middle of a class, a middle of a Greek class, because they saw truth. And the professor would say, this is a doxological moment. We need to pray. We need to praise him right now. Look for those. Look for them when you're taking a walk with your kids and you're looking at the trees. Look, look for them while you're reading your Bible. Okay? We're dismissed. And hey, gentlemen, uh, today with the chairs, leave the chairs where they are, take the tables, hold the legs up, it's the sanctuary, and just put them in the water. Please. Hey, did anybody, anybody lose a book last week? This was left in the, in the uh, gymnasium. Yeah.